Grace Unscripted. As always, I'm your host, Ben Falkenberg. Thanks for tuning in as we dig into the lives of God's people and see how he's moving outside the walls of the church building. Today, I'm joined by Paul Vespoli. Paul's a friend of mine that I met through the Man Up Connect group in the winter of 2018. And like me, Paul's a father to three little girls, so we just kind of get each other. And he's a cool dude, and he's really had his life changed since he met the Lord a few years ago. And now Jesus is using him in some pretty awesome ways. I really enjoyed hearing the details of his journey, and uh, I really think you will too. And so thanks for listening, and welcome to Grace Unscripted. Paul, how you doing, man? Good. Good morning. Good morning. Every time I start these podcasts, I begin with like lamenting the weather yeah i was gonna say merry christmas <laughs> yeah. to start out because oh my it's, goodness. The, it's the end of fall but it's snowing the first so. day of, the first day of snow today i woke up looked outside and i was like and it's snowing yeah this is just outrageous lots of leaves on the I ground know. i know and I, got, snow. I got my leaf. i was actually at work yesterday and i saw the forecast for today and i was like hey if you there's any space for me to leave a little early i would love to get home and do my leaves before exactly. it rains all day today so i got home and i i got to work for like three hours outside yeah. but i have just an endless amount of leaves um, <laughs> same same so how you doing you doing great all right? yeah. yeah doing good so you and i have known each other uh for a, probably close to a year now we're getting there yeah we did we did man up together that's how i, I met you uh-huh. um and you've been coming to grace for for nine years now yep and uh, I know you're kind of active in the, the, the know it department, we'll call it. Uh-huh. Um, so what are you doing with that stuff? Are you, are you teaching? Yeah, I'll be uh, – there's a uh, an Old Testament overview that we're going to do, and um, I'll be doing that. But uh, really involved with uh, Give It or uh, give it Away especially. Kind of international missions have always been oh, kind cool. of had a good place in my heart. Yeah. yeah. But definitely, you know, for Know It, I think the men's ministry stuff is awesome. Yeah. And there's really a place for it because we really need it. Yeah. I think really men do. in the community really need that. So, uh, um, so I didn't realize that you were doing some of that stuff with the yeah. Internet. So what is the international missions stuff? Uh, you know, I, I do a lot with Haiti. I just okay. have, so have developed this there? love for Haiti. Yeah, yeah. That's um, cool. And uh, have some people there that I really love and care about. And, you know, really kind of started with Feed My Starving Children was where my interest in international ministry started, even though it's kind of here. Yeah. That's what I love about Feed My Starving Children is it's international missions at home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's cool. But so grew did, out of that. Did the Haiti thing start? So how long ago was it since that? The earthquake. It's been a while. Yeah, it's it's been several years. Did you since go that. over there right after that, or was it no. a little bit of time? Uh, it was after, and and it had such a long lasting impact. Yeah, and again, with feed my starving children, that's because the the ground was ruined there for a period of time. So yeah. we we have to keep kind of supplying food yeah. um, for a long period of time. So that's how I got So what do you do involved. exactly? So I am actually um, responsible for our you know, strategy and, and some of that for Haiti. Okay. And just like Paul Basson does for Mexico, I do for Haiti. Um, and recently we had Pastor Shalo in, who is pastor of our church in Haiti, which is called Eglise de la Grasse, right? Church Church of Grace. That's cool. I didn't even know in we had Creole. that. We do, yeah. When did that start? Oh, it's been several years. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I honestly had no idea about this. Oh, yeah. We've had a, a partnership there for, I think it's like eight years, and we had an existing ministry partner there. So my role is really to work with Pastor Shalo and kind of, because we don't want to go and impose an American perspective on Haitian yeah, kind of I mean, development. So what we do is work closely with him and with uh, other ministries that we're a part of there so that they can actually drive the vision. You know, Haitians drive mm-hmm. the vision for you know, ministry in Haiti, 
Because they and actually then we have a realistic view of what it's going to look like. Well, realistic view, and ultimately they're going to do things that are going to be more long-term. Yeah. I think if we came in and just, you know, well-intentioned or otherwise kind of just came in and helped on the short term, it would have a short-term impact. Yeah. Yeah. What I love that Joe says about it all the time is, you know, people go for we go or I go for a week, mm-hmm. you know, to interact with some people there. And that's great because we establish some relationships. But there's a longer period where kind of missionaries who live and work there are working. Yeah. There's a longer period still where someone like Shalo, who is a pastor there for many years, is going to be working. But really the long term is, you know, Christ working within Haiti. Yeah. And it's really getting able to get a glimpse of that, which yeah. is the part that I love. I love seeing God working in Haiti because it's so out in the open yeah. that he's working. That's cool. It's beautiful. My yeah. Uncle Jim, he uh, he works for uh, a Christian group, and they have kind of figured out the same stuff. He said, you know, back in the day, he worked for, um, and my father worked for a company called Bible Literature International that their, uh-huh. either their dad or their grandpa started, which basically they worked on getting Bibles into countries. And so a lot of this was smuggling Bibles into countries yeah. and stuff like that. Um, But then they were playing to missionaries and stuff, and they said, you know, we've realized that it's so much more productive for, say, a a country in Africa, or let's just say Haiti, for rather than us to go on, like, week-long mission trips or rather for us to even just send, like, a missionary, what we're going to do is we're going to send a missionary, but we're going to send them with the specific task of, hey, you're going there to teach and to raise up Haitians. Right. So you're going you're gonna to disciple them. So it's not on you to start this project. You're just teaching these people how to start it. Yep. And then you, you can leave or whatnot, and you have discipled seven people who are going to walk in the Lord with their native people. And yeah. they said that's how the gospel moves there because then Absolutely. They, they understand the culture. Well, there are a lot of uh, ministries in Haiti that have some mixture of hope and Haiti, you know, those mm-hmm. two words yeah. in them, hope for Haiti, real hope for Haiti, you know. Um, and really the hope for Haiti is Christ. Yeah, the, the true it, hope, the supreme hope. Yeah, I mean, that is the hope for Haiti. So if we can build partnerships there to support them and kind of, you know, build them up in different ways, that's ultimately what's going to help. Otherwise, it would just be us imposing an American perspective on it, and that wouldn't work. It's not going to work. No. Um, Well, that's cool, man. That's awesome. I learned something new every day. There you go. I didn't know that you were doing that. There you go. Um, All right, so I I got to know you a little bit. Um, We talked uh, just trying to get to understand your life a little bit. So you were born and raised in Ohio. You're a Buckeye. You grew up in Parma. Is that uh, yeah, right? I was born in Parma, but I didn't really grow up in Parma. We moved from there when I was like in second grade. Okay. So in, uh, I grew up in Richfield, Richfield more than anything, yeah, which is pretty close here. Is Richfield, is that where the Coliseum was? Yes. Okay. The glory days, huh? The glory days of the Coliseum. That's cool. Um, yes. You had a couple brothers, but they were a lot older than you. Yeah, I have uh, my middle brother, or you know, the middle son, we're three boys. Middle son is Mike, and he's nine years older than me, and then Tony is 11 years older than me. So in some ways, you're almost like an only child a little bit. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, it feels that way, and they always tease me that I was an only child and that it was much easier on me <laughs> than it was on them and all yeah. that business, but I think to some extent that's true. Yeah. I did kind of feel like an only child, for sure. And uh, so your last name is Vespoli, or Vespoli, as <laughs> right. I was saying. Um, so you're the son of a, an Italian immigrant. So you, yeah. did your father come here? Yeah, he came when he was 16. Okay. And my mom, so first generation, he's, yeah. he comes on the boat. He he literally came on the boat. In fact, I have his boat ticket, That's which awesome. is a pretty awesome, That's pretty cool family artifact. Um, and my mom was born here, but really, you know, when her native, her first language was Italian before she went to school. So she probably was her, were her parents yes. immigrants. They Same. were first generation. Yeah, yeah. So why'd your dad come here? 
Um, it was pretty rough. Yeah. It was pretty rough on the home front, especially after the war. You know, in Italy, there was it was very. Uh, in fact, my my father. So it was you know right after the war, and uh, my father remembers having a gun held to his head when he was Dang. a kid by a soldier, and they just literally came and took everything and left nothing for the people who lived there. So it was pretty miserable. Yeah, and it wasn't great here either. But kind of as immigrants did at that time, they came in waves and they yeah. helped each other when they came and. My dad went through kind of a, a variety of not great jobs before he ended up in construction, which is which is what he did. So he came he here, he's 16, just trying to figure out, how. Yeah. what am I going to do? Pretty I much. can't even ima- – like it, it's such a part of our history of the yeah. country. Um, but when you really think about it, like I can't imagine getting on a boat yeah. and just going to Brazil, not showing up with, the language, with nothing no and being money. like, what do yeah. I do here? I mean that's pretty much what our country was built on. Yeah. So many people did that. Yeah. yeah. It's that amazing. That is wild. Yeah. Um, all right, so your dad got into construction. Yep. How how like what was your home like? I mean, you it's got to be a different home than I'm growing up in, right? I'm like yeah. I mean, my grandparents came over like my great great or something. So, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty American. Like American, you just yeah. grow up in this American home, everything. Yours is probably a pretty Italian home. It was. I mean, we made, you know, sausage, we made wine, we made, you know, when we cooked things. You know, my mom, when my mom would make pasta for Christmas or something, she didn't go to the grocery store to buy flour. <laughs> She actually went to the Baker's Depot, and wow. they she would literally back up to the dock, and they would dump a you know throw a fifty pound yeah. bag of flour, and That's you know wild. she'd get a few dozen eggs, and yeah. so it was very much so you know culturally. And my grandparents didn't speak English, you know. Do you so, speak Italian? Yeah, yeah. So our dialect is a little bit different, but I studied in school uh, also. But yeah, I mean it's it was very much an Italian home, Catholic home growing up. Um, Dad, you know, was a very, very hardworking. Both my parents were very hardworking people. Yeah. Um, you had to be, or you didn't. They eat. were, yeah. I mean, super hardworking people. That's cool. Yeah. And so I know, I know you grew up, and then you ended up going to Walsh Jesuit yeah. High School. Is that right? Yeah. So how'd you land there? Well, my brother, uh, my oldest brother, went to John Carroll, okay. uh, which was a Jesuit school, and he thought very highly of their education. My parents, really. So aside from kind of coming here and and not having a professional background necessarily just kind of you know coming as as young young adults I guess you could say um you know so so they didn't they didn't have a lot of education you know my father uh had just a very basic education in Italy my mom went to school here but you know uh through high school my mom actually went but my dad didn't wasn't even able to do that so they were interested in education for me, but weren't yeah. sure kind of what to do. And my brother said, you know, Jesuit schools are, you know, tough in terms of academics and really like to have you guys send them there. And they really sacrificed to do it. Because you got to pay. Oh, you had yeah. to pay. And it was not cheap. No. Even back in the day when I went to school, it yeah. wasn't really cheap. Huh. So they, they struggled and made yeah. it happen. Now, yeah. how, what was your high school experience like? Because I know you yeah. mentioned to me, you're like, I... I had some tough times. Yeah. Like I struggled in Big high school. Time. Like, what were you walking through? You know, I'll tell you, it's weird because if I look at my circumstances and if I look at my family, my parents were married, um, and um, I did not come from a broken home. I had two, you know, older brothers who I love, and just you know, but through high school, especially, don't know why, I just really had a hard time, and I think. 
you know, part of it may have been that I felt, whether correctly or not, like I felt very isolated when I was growing up because both of my brothers mm-hmm. were, you know, off doing cool stuff. And, you know, I was this kid who was much younger and kind of I felt like I was on my parents' backs in a way. Yeah. Like it wasn't my Yeah, they're fault. 21, you're like 11. <laughs> exactly. And they were off, you know, doing fun stuff and I was, you know, at home with the parents. So felt a little off. But, yeah, I mean, in high school was very tough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't have a good reason circumstantially why that was the case, but it was. Um, but I did, you know, one thing that, that we talked about uh, a week or so ago was the fact that even at that time, I, I kind of felt like God had his hand on me and had something for me, yeah. but it just really wasn't clear at that point. Yeah. Because you had a really kind of unique thing happen. when you got to explain this story. So you were like six or eight or something? Yeah, I was somewhere between six and eight. I don't remember exactly what my age was, but I remember, you know, kind of the stage of life I was in. Well, this was when we were living in Parma, and I wanted to go outside and play. So I looked out of the, you know, we had kind of a sliding glass door at the back of the house, and I looked out of the sliding glass door and wanted to go outside, and I couldn't because it was raining and just black. The sky was black. So I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll just do something in the house. So I kind of went, you know, to the other side of the house, the front of the house, and I looked out of, uh, I could see through the front door, through the glass in the front door, sun. And I just was (laughs) like, wait a minute, this is weird. Yeah, it's pouring in black in the backyard. and black. So I opened it, and um, I looked up, and there was literally one cloud that was just backlit, by the sun, really, you know, bright light coming through it, larger than life was a crucifix silhouetted in the cloud. And even as a kid, it it stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, "Um, (laughs) I know this is something. I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, kind of fast forward through high school, that image really kind of remained in me. It was something that just burned itself in my mind and in my heart. And even when I was going through really tough times, um, it was there. Yeah. And I knew that God was there and that God had his hand on me. And in fact, I felt like I might have been called to the ministry. So this was in high school? The, well, uh, yeah, in high school where I felt like I thought I might be called to priesthood, right? Okay. Um, and I, I did not go down that path, which looking back, I kind of understand why, but, you know, um, I was very, I was a campus minister at Walsh. So when you were in high school, you were a campus, what's a a campus campus minister? minister is basically someone who's a little more involved in kind of faith, the faith walk, uh, within the Catholic church than kind of most people would be. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I think it's for people who feel like they may have a calling of some sort and so on. So I did that. Studied theology like crazy. Mm-hmm. It was always one of my favorite subjects um, and got the opportunity to learn about other religions and just kind of study theology at, at a pretty deep level um, in high school. That's so, cool. Yeah. And then you roll out of Walsh. Um, yeah. You end up, so you do undergrad at, undergrad at Miami of Ohio. Did undergrad at Miami. And Did you like it there? I did like it. I mean, it was a good school, and I was just in – I was in pretty kind of wild mode in yeah. college, you know, in undergrad especially. And when I went to graduate school, I definitely 
you know, that trailed off quite a bit. Because you, so after Miami, you rolled to Xavier first. I went to Xavier. You got a master's in, um, in English literature. In English. Yeah. And then you rolled back to Ohio State and got another master's in Italian. Yeah. And that's why. So I were think, you hoping to like teach? I was. Yeah, I was. I, you know, we talked about know it here at the church, right? And the reason that I kind of go that way is I'm kind of a know. I'm programmed as a know it guy. Same. I think from I the beginning, right? Yeah. So when I went, I did the one master's, then I was going to go and get my Ph.D. in English, and I got into some pretty good schools. I'm pretty proud of, you know, how that worked out. Uh, But I actually had a teacher who told me, you know, you're not going to get a job in that. You know, go to something more niche. You know, what is it? Let's talk about you. And we talked about my background and all that. So Italian literature came up as something a little bit more more niche. So what is a master's in Italian? It's, you know, you're studying the... The language? In the same, well, the, I actually taught the language. Everything is in Italian, so you've, it, it assumes you've progressed to a certain yeah. level in the language. And then I, I actually um, I studied in Italy in the summertime. And then, oh, that's cool. Yeah, not like rich kids summering in yeah. Europe kind of thing, but, you know, working hard during the year and, yeah. and saving up money and then going study um, in Italy. So, I've, been, but I've been to Italy. Awesome. I, we went... Um, Jesus was before Tanya and I got married. Her parents uh-huh. took us on a trip. My my uh, my brother in law was. They were doing some missionary work in. Where were they at? They were in Germany, and okay. uh, so we went over there like during my my spring break, and uh, we we did get to go to Italy. So we went to like Switzerland and Germany, and like I felt like I was in like a cleaner United States yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and then uh, we rolled into Italy, oh, yeah. and I felt Not like so I was on the moon. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was yeah. it was such a different world. It was unbelievable. Totally. I mean, you're taking turns like in a car. You're getting passed by like scooters on both sides. <laughs> I mean, it, it was insane. It's I felt a, like I was in a completely different universe. Oh yeah, totally. It was cool though, especially going from Germany to Italy. Yeah. that's kind of extreme. It was for sure. it was pretty wild. Um, sure. But you do IT <clears throat> services now. So how in the world yeah. do you end up? You're like, all right, I, maybe was going to be a priest. Then I go and get a master's <laughs> in English. Now I'm teaching Italian, and now I'm doing. IT. So what in the world? You, you ask a very good question, Ben, and it's one that I should have probably asked myself somewhere <laughs> along the line. So, I mean, I think what I see continuity in it, um, and I kind of see them all as the same thing. Like I, I very much have been built with a an, an innate curiosity and kind of a you know desire to learn things deeply, right? So how I ended up in in IT was. After graduate school and a whole lot of humanities in graduate school, I had to do something, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to continue to get a PhD, but, you know, in first in English literature and then in Italian literature, and I didn't. So I had to get a job, and I knew I could sell. So I started in kind of a sales role that was in that IT space, and then it just developed from there. And, you know, I don't know that, that, that uh, sales and IT and IT consulting is – is really the thing that I love most in the world. It's kind of the the practical consideration of providing and all that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just kind of understand it, and it's yeah. it's something that I can do. That's yeah. what happens when you get a lot of humanities education. Yeah. You end up selling. <laughs> You're like, now <"Nah>, I <laughs> so, gotta go do something. Exactly. So where in this process did you meet your wife, Angie? So, yeah, we met kind of when I I was in graduate school. I lived down in Columbus. I, I went to Ohio State mm-hmm. um, when I studied Italian. 
Um, and then uh, I came back up. How old would you have been then? Jeez, uh, in my in my late late twenties. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, late twenties, twenty twenty six. I want to say okay. late ish. How old are you now? Mid to late. I'm forty eight. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so like twenty years ago, you're down there. Yeah, and I, um, you know, my my father passed away. My father got cancer and passed away. And that kind of blew my mind because he was very healthy and, mm-hmm. you know, never ate fast food. You know, he, the only thing he drank alcohol-wise was his homemade wine, you know, a little bit with dinner every night. So he, he um, got sick and passed away. And then two years later, we found out that my mom had cancer as well. So when we found out that she was sick, I came, came back Mm-hmm. Uh, for all practical purposes, came so you back, left Columbus and came left back Columbus, here. came back to Cleveland, and I was taking care of mom at that time, and um, met Angie, and just kind of you know like they say you know yeah I knew how'd you where'd you meet her just friend of a friend gotcha yeah and um, you know I uh, uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of a funny story you know at first I was actually dating someone else at the time yeah. and it was a very not. Uh, elegant or kind of gentlemanly uh, start that I had because I actually had to say, you know what, I met Angie and I, I knew uh, Angie was the one and I kind of had to say, you know, I need a couple of weeks. Yeah, I got to take care of this. Yeah, so not very cool way to start, but she's awesome. And and as I, you know, am married longer and longer with her, I kind of see the plan behind it. Yeah. I think we're more kind of aligned now than even we were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I see that there was a plan. And so is she from together. around here? Yeah, she's a, she's a west side of Cleveland gotcha. uh, gal. She grew up uh, so, there. So you guys got married. How long yeah. have you been married now? 11 years. 11 years. Yep. You have three girls. Three girls. So Nina is yep. 10, yep. Mariella's 8, Juliana's 5. You got it. The three-girl club, me and you. Right on. We're captains of the club. We're going to be sharing for a while. Oh, my I goodness. Think. I How's it going Best in your practices. house? Is it going well? Is it? There's a lot. My of, house is so emotional. So there is a lot of emotion. There's some yelling, which you know, all the time. Angie and I talk about it, and we're like, just yelling does not work. No, it doesn't. But, but it's such a different. Like growing up as one of three boys, you know, the occasional kind of you know backhand or whatever did actually make a difference for us, but. You know, for us with the girls, um, that you know, we've talked about it a lot, and Angie's like, you know, this is a total different game. This is kind of mental. It's completely different. More of a mental mm-hmm. game, and, you know, very much the case. Like, it's everything you've got to kind of work through and yeah. talk through, and emotions are the key. And- oh, it's great. Like, so whatever. I'm not trying to impress uh, – how you should parent or what you should yeah. do for discipline. But I think if I had had sons, I'd probably be much more apt to spank them more. Oh, but yeah. it's like I have these little girls. Yeah. And like I just – I have such a hard time bringing myself to like spank them. Same. Yeah. Now, it, literally the only time that it ever comes out is at bedtime if they're just tripping and <laughs> yeah. I'm exhausted. And I'm right. like, I don't have any Same. energy. You need to go to bed. Yeah. If you don't and you just keep yelling, I'm going to come in here and smack <laughs> your bum. Yeah. Um, but – I, it, it is a different thing. It's like yeah, because totally my brother is. has three boys, and I like have to see how those kids are and the way you keep them in line. It's very different than the way you have to interact totally, with girls. Totally, it is like it is mental and emotional warfare yeah. with these girls. Yes, and it's exhausting. It is, but it's like so fun. Like I never but thought good. that I would like to. Like if you'd asked me before I had kids, like oh, what's your family going to look like? You'd be like oh, three, four boys, you know, strapping, yeah. do all this stuff. And it's like we had Nola, and and she was a girl, and. uh and then 
the second one comes along and people are like, what do you want? You want a boy? And I was yeah. like, no. I was like, I want I another girl. Like, it's this weird. has been really fun. I, my my, uh, my mom used to say, like, before she passed away, she said, uh, my, my prayer for you is that you're loved. Yeah. And I can tell you, I mean... I, I with Angie and three girls, like it's just I'm getting so much more than I deserve. It's yeah. not even funny. Yeah. Like you know, it is hard. You know, sometimes with girls, and you know, it's a different kind of correction mm-hmm. that you can do than what I experienced when I was a kid. But man, it's it's rich. It really I mean, is. It really like is I, rich. I just lie in bed sometimes, and I just think like I just call my girl. Like it's my family's just me and my girls because I yeah. got four of them Same. and it's just like <laughs> like the goodness and of yeah. god to give me like these girls it's just yeah. unbelievable and so i would just be sitting around like eating dinner it's just me and four females exactly. and i couldn't be happier you yes. know what i mean i just look at them and just like this is so fun and i and it's fun like i mean there's a relationship i think between me and my daughters that is is really cool and it's probably a unique thing with fathers and daughters just like fathers and sons have something different mothers and sons there's like a I don't know. I don't know what the right word for it is. Like, you get to be kind of like their prince. Yeah. You get to be their protector. You get to show them like who they need to look for when they get older. Like mm-hmm. all these fun stuff. Like Nola said, some boy was being coloring on her page at school, and she was like, "Will you come talk to him?" I'm like, "I will threaten him. I will put <laughs> him up against the I'll wall. Take him this down." This four year old kid is done. You know. <laughs> so, so I mean, I, I'm convinced that that's you know really the way God shows unconditional love to us. Like, I, I think that's a gift. I think our children are a gift to us to show how he loves us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, whether whether I would have been given boys or girls, I think it would be the same, um, that I would really have that unconditional love. But with girls, it's special. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my youngest, actually talking about what you experienced uh, with your, your four-year-old, my five-year-old, was out on the playground and I saw a kid from, you know, I was 200 yards away. A kid threw her to the ground. Oh, so I'm ready to sprint oh, and yeah, just take this kid out, yeah. right? Well, she actually, you know, demonstrated kind of some, I didn't, I had never seen her in that situation. She did not let go of his shirt. He threw her down kind of two more times and he was bigger than her. She hung tough and I was like, you know what? I'm going to let that go yeah, because cool. she's got it. Yeah. So. It's That's cool awesome. to see, yeah. And my girls are very different, too. Like, Nola, she's very uh, – she's she loves school. She just loves to sit in color and this and that. Like, yeah. if someone did that to her, she would come crying to me. And yeah. wanna, my middle child, Lena, she would punch him right in the she face. She, I mean, out. no regard for that. <laughs> like, it's just completely how she would roll, too. That's awesome. Um, all right. So you you had mentioned, and I wanted to kind of talk about this. Yeah. Um, so you have a stretch in your life where you lose your dad. To, yep. to cancer. Yep. Um, he got renal cancer. He passes away. Yep. Two years later, your mom gets pancreatic cancer. Yep. You come up here to take care of her. She passes away. Yep. During that process, you meet Angie. You're married. A couple years later, Angie's dad gets cancer. He passes away. Yep. So you have a stretch of six years where you lost three of four parents. Yeah. That's... I mean that's a nightmare. That's not as... Yeah. Where does that leave you? Was not was not good. Um you know, like uh, people say, you know, that in, um, you know, uh, crisis situations like that, you either go toward God or you go away from God. I went away. Did you? I was very angry. So were you, let me press pause, were you, would you have considered yourself a Jesus follower as a, and like, no, so you, no, no, before any I, of this happens, no. I'll say, you know, I mean, so <clears throat> maybe I, like the good Catholic role. I mean, don't not to offend a listener. No, no. But. I mean, it was, you know, we were we felt very 
um, kind of our tradition in in Catholic Church was really that you did certain things and you showed up and yeah. you you know acted a certain way and so on. And you know, I, I I did those things, and I really was looking for Christ. And really, my disappointment in all of that is I wasn't able to find him there. Yeah. Not to say that no one can, but you know, kind of. I always think of the blind man when I think about my past. Like you know, although I was doing some of those things, I was blind mm-hmm. and I couldn't see. Now I can see. That's all I know. Yeah. You know, I don't I, I don't get into kind of the theology behind it and, and some of that to take it apart too much. It's just very kind of matter of fact where. I was doing the things that I was being kind of convinced to do. I did them, and I just I couldn't find him. Yeah. Couldn't find Jesus. So, so, so you end up before that little tangent I popped us on. Like, yeah, you're angry, very confused. Like, you just very. lost your father, your mother, your father-in-law in six-year stretch. Like, yeah, where it, were you at? Like, describe that for me. Well, it you know I'll tell you it was another kind of uh, you know God moment that even helped me to realize. Um, that my father was sick. So he had, he had, um, you know, one kidney had to be removed because of his cancer. And this was, you know, like nine years later or something Mm -hmm. like that. Was it nine or, or maybe more, I think. Uh, anyway, a bunch of years later where he was free and clear and I was standing, we were in church. I think it was Easter time in, in our Catholic church at the time, St. Hillary. And I was standing with my godmother, who, you know, in the Catholic Church, when you're confirmed, you have godparents, right? So standing with my godmother, who I'm extremely close with and love, she's a cousin, um, and I I was standing behind my father, and I kind of grabbed her arm, and I said, he's sick. He's sick again. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, I I just see kind of around him something. He's, He's sick. Well, sure enough... After he was supposed to be free and clear, he was—he had cancer. Again, it, was back. it was back, and it was in the other kidney, and it was in the lymph nodes, and yes, we just it's, knew it's bad. A sentence. That's it. Bad. Um, so I really started praying, and the premise of my prayer was, God, you are all powerful, and I know you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So cure, cure yeah. him. You know, you take this it, from it. him. Yeah. And I really prayed hard, and when he died, I thought. Well, that didn't work. So, huh. God, you must not be in the business of kind of caring about people. And I went down that whole path. And I can be a little bit absolute in my thinking. Yeah. You know, I'm not kind of a gray guy. I, I'm black and white sometimes. So I went down the path that God just didn't care. And, uh, you know, those those six years. And that, that was just reconfirmed in your mind two years later when your mom gets sick. Yeah, yeah, Because you probably prayed for her, too. Well, and I didn't pray for my oh, mom. wow, that's interesting. I didn't. You went there. Yeah, because I was like, you know what? It didn't help the first yeah. time, so I'm not going to let my heart go there because my heart hadn't healed hmm. from my father hmm. because my father was a tough guy, and yeah. he was really tough on us, but— He's an you know, Italian immigrant. I mean, Italian he, immigrant, and he, he was very tough, and, like, I appreciated him for who he was because he was not shown an ounce of love. My grandfather— was an especially kind of hard guy, and he had kids to be farmhands. Yeah. He had a lot of kids, and they were intended <laughs> to work, right? Yeah. So I appreciated my dad's ability to, you know, show the warmth that he was able to show, which was yeah. not a huge amount, but, you know, for what he— So when my father passed away, that was like the anchor of our family was gone. So I was still hurting from that, 
And when my mom died, or when my mom got sick, I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. He just doesn't doesn't do that. He doesn't care. Uh, And I went to a dark place. I was, um, you know, I I was pretty um, messed up for half a dozen years. I was, you know, kind of drinking nonstop. And um, at that time, we had my my oldest, um, Nina. Yeah. And... um, the first year of her life, I was kind of, you know, present but absent. I would just go out in my shed and stay out there all night sometimes working on a something, right, yeah. just to be just out there and drinking and just a mess. Do you feel like you were trying to just, like, escape reality? Absolutely. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, no question. Yeah. That's exactly what I was doing. So, Because reality was harsh at that. Like, you're like, this is my reality. I'm yeah. losing parents. Like, yeah. God's not here. Yeah. I'm going to escape that. Yep. Huh. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I, I took it inwardly and I was tough on myself and all that. And so, you know, Angie was a trooper. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of insisted that we live in my parents' house, which was a little uncomfortable for her coming into that. And we redid it in some of those things as me kind of half-heartedly trying to accommodate her and yeah. whatever. But it wasn't ever her um, house. So, you know, that was pretty tough. But she was extremely loving, and she gave me probably more of a chance than, than she should have or, or than most people would because I was, I was a mess. I yeah. was truly a mess. One thing we had talked about is kind of who, who you are. If we press pause and look at who, who you were, yeah. Um, just lost your family you're kind of reeling in your own words mm-hmm. you're trying to figure you're escaping your reality yep. and then you land at crossfit yeah and this is the start of your redemption in, in some well, ways it was it was the start of me not being able to ignore it anymore like god has been working on me he's he knew me before i was formed he's been working on me my whole life but this is why i think it's so important that we be salt and light out there because i had a couple people who were salt and light to me yeah. and it really was what cracked through so the rough exterior this? um this would have been like 7 8 years ago okay and yep. two two guys what were their names two guys scott farwell and matt ratcher um and and i love I love, uh, you know, I tease Scott all the time about his, you know, love Jesus or I'll punch you in the face kind of yeah. approach because he's a he's an awesome guy, but he was very much, you know, hey, I'm saved, and he was always talking about God at so church. So did you did you meet at them CrossFit. at CrossFit or did yeah. you know? So you like we, I'm working out next to Scott, and he's talking about God, and I'm going during mid workout. Oh yeah, all, before before during and Are after. You like what is wrong with this guy? I definitely was. I was like, man, th- he is. Yeah. You know, just whacked. And we would have some pretty heated discussions oh, you were, like, about debate it. Out. We would debate it out. Yeah. In the literally in the parking lot. <laughs> we would go outside and talk about God and argue about it. Because your vision of God is like he wasn't there. Oh, I was yeah, I was mad. Even yeah. though but I knew I knew he was there, but I was I, I was an angry child mm-hmm. is is the way I would look at it. So so literally, I mean, we would go and, you know, duke it out with words in the parking lot afterward. And uh, the one day, I'll never forget, both Matt and um, Scott were work- at the workout that day. And there were a couple of other people, too, who were grace people. And I'm like, geez, what is going on at yeah. this place? And uh, one of them said, well, 
I love my church. And I'm like, that's it, guys. Yeah. Come on. Seriously, you love your church. That's no one ridiculous. loves the church. That's exactly what I said. And Scott was like, so listen, come to Bible study with me. And I was like, yeah, I've done Bible studies before. I, I'm, I'm into learning the Bible and yeah. all that. Sure, I'll come with you. And I went to the Bible study. Is and it like a small group or is it like Jeff's Bible study? Men's Bible Men's study, study on Tuesday mornings uh, that Jeff does, which is awesome. Um, but it's like a secret underground one. This might get it out. Oh, it's not, a it's lot not of people, secret at all. A lot all. of people don't know about it. But There's it, like 60 people. Yeah. I might have just blown the well, lid off, so Jeff might sorry, be mad Jeff. at me for that. Yeah. Sorry, but um, I never had known about it until like two years ago. Like, you know Jeff great. does a Bible study on Tuesdays. Like, never heard of it. It was great. Yeah. So, so he invites so. you to that. He invites me to that, and, and uh, at the same time, I should say, kind of a sidebar, kind of parallel storyline, Angie and I literally had the conversation, like, we can't live without hope anymore. Mm. We are just lost. And mm. Angie actually, instead of going away from God, she went more toward God, and she was trying to figure it out and going, you know, what are we going to do? And, and God worked through Angie to get both of us there because it brought us together. It brought her more toward him, toward God. And brought me more toward God because we, I remember sitting on our bed going, we literally cannot live without hope. What's the deal with these Christians? Yeah. You know, they, they just seem happy. I want some of that. We literally had that conversation. Then we get a postcard in the mail from Grace. Then Scott Farwell and Matt Ratcher and these guys start talking about the church. And I'm like, listen, all right, fine. I'll check it out. Came here and thought it was weird, um, loud music. Very different people than in, your upbringing. Yeah, people in flip-flops, like, what is going on? Jeff and his flip-flops. Yeah, you know, people, you know, uh, excited and raising their hands and all this. And I'm like, come on. But I kept coming. Yeah. And I was, I was very critical at first. I was critical of the pastors, critical of kind of their confidence in God's plan and all this. And I'm like, how do these guys know this, right? So, but I was consuming everything I could consume because it ultimately was something that I needed, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed it. So one of the things that was recommended, and I talked with everybody. Angie said, how do you know all of these guys? I would go two, three different guys a week. I would go and have coffee huh, and just Grace. talk with them from Grace and just kind of say, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? How do you feel about it and all this? So I was really voraciously kind of taking it in and, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, one of them, I think it was one of the pastors who recommended, hey, you need to go talk to Pastor Dale, mm-hmm. Dale Henneman, who does uh, pastoral counseling. And I went, and after a few sessions, Pastor Dale said, um, listen, he, he said, uh, I have a question for you, because I told him all, the whole story. And I said, yeah, go ahead, fire away. And he said, do you trust God? And without a second's hesitation, I just kind of laughed. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and, you know, a, a, a pastor or a counselor of any type is You're supposed to maintain. stone-faced, yeah. Yeah, stone-faced and be like, oh, that's great. No, his face just dropped. He was shocked that I would say that. And I, was, I saw his face, and I realized how strange a thing that was to say. And he said to me, um, he goes, you know what, buddy? He goes, that doesn't have anything to do with God. Uh-huh. That has to do with you. So I said, he said, I want you to go home. And kind of my, my thing that I was fighting with was I felt very unworthy because I grew up in a system mm. that was kind of like, you know, you had to earn it. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. Right? But I also, you know, whatever this thing was that was kind of dragging me down, I, I carried that with me. And I felt very unworthy. So Pastor Dale said, you know what? 
go home, write down all your worst stuff, anything you want to confess. I want you to come back next time with that list. Boy, was that a miserable week for me until the next time I saw him. Didn't write anything down because I didn't want any evidence, but I had it all in the back of my mind. I came in and saw him, and I just blasted it. Just unloaded. Unloaded, and I said, finished with it, and I said, well, how's that? Have you ever heard that before? And he's like, actually, yep, quite a few times. He's like, you know, there's some stuff in there that's not great, that you know, but it's nothing I haven't heard before, and, you know, it's cool. Um, Do you want to pray and ask for forgiveness for it? Wow. And I said, yep, I sure would. So he knelt down, I knelt down, and my prayer was basically, you know, Lord, I give up. Yeah. Um, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I can't. I, I am trying to drive, and I have no clue how to do it. Um, you know, I've done all these things. You need to forgive me for these things, and I just want to put my life in your hands from here forward, and I'm, I'm just not driving anymore. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't entirely true because I still try to take the wheel from Oh, I still do that all the time. All right? the time. But, you know, I, uh, and I was bawling. I was yeah. bawling as this happened, and I kind of finished, and, man, the weight of the world was off my shoulders. And I looked at Pastor Dale, and I said, wow, um, I think I just had a moment. Yeah. And he said, you know, I was here. You had a moment. Yeah. I said, did I just accept Jesus? And he said, I don't know, did you? And I said, yeah. Yeah. Um, and literally kind of just everything, everything um, that didn't make sense up to that point kind of made sense yeah. then. That was your Second Corinthians 5.17 moment. Yeah. You're, in that moment, new you creation. stood up and you're a new creation. I absolutely was at yeah. that moment. And, you know, I guess the thing I didn't realize at the time, you know, part of the advertising uh, for for seeing these people that I had seen so happy all the time was I thought their lives were perfect. Yeah. That's why they were happy. Well, I've learned since that that's not the case. But I do think, um, you know, you've talked about this before. We've talked about, you know, the fullness. Mm-hmm. Um, John 10.10. 10. Yes, you know, the, the fullness. Life, life to the full. Right. And, and freedom, fullness mm-hmm. and freedom. And um, I, I truly have experienced that. And, the, you know, like I talked about Haiti at the beginning, I talked about Feed My Starving Children. And those aren't things that I do because I'm a good person. Like I, I don't earn God by doing good things. Um, God has done good, you know, good things for me by giving me a way out, giving yeah. me a way to salvation. And that just makes me, makes me want to be in his presence and, and help people know yeah. him. Those things flow from your heart. Yeah, Those completely. Those life to your heart. Yeah, completely. And you know, one thing, one thing I really want to say, like if there's one takeaway in all of this, I was thinking about that this morning before I came to have this conversation was, you know, what's the, what's the takeaway from all this? And it's, I think, you know, um, I was going to say in order to have uh, a more full and a more free life, you need Christ. I don't think that's correct, though. I think it's you can't have a full life mm-hmm. and you can't have freedom mm-hmm. without Christ. Um, and, you know, I... I see around me a lot of people, and I see in myself 
um, you know, things where you'll want to seek security and money. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that. Right? In relationships, in, you know, whatever makes you feel good and safe and comfortable, right? And relationships are good. Money can be good or bad, right? Yeah. But those are good things. But honestly, you can't have truly a happy marriage without Christ. You can't truly be a man. Yeah. Not to, you know, that sounds extreme to say that, but I believe that that's true. You can't be the man that you were built to be well, surely, without having Christ. In Genesis 1, God creates man and he directs his path and says, this is what it looks like to be a man. You're going right. to dwell with me. You're going to rule in authority and establish dominion. Yep. So if you're not in line with the creator who's giving you that task, then you can't be the man that he's created you to and, be. And we agree on that. And, I mean, we were created the in the image I mean, of God, but yeah, the world certainly sure. doesn't agree with that. And a lot of men maybe don't realize that. That's why yeah. I love the men's ministry that you're you're working so hard on. And, you know, I think, you know, um, I th- the reason that you can't be full without Christ is exactly what you said. Like, you've got to be connected to your creator or those things that might otherwise provide security. Like, money money can provide yeah. security in the sense that you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about certain things. But it's only in the context of that faith walk that yeah. that, that works, that that yeah. math comes together. Because otherwise it breaks down. And those yeah. things, you know, you, you, can't, you, can, you can't go on enough vacations— to make yourself happy. You can't fund your way out of life or you can't, you know, fake your way out of relationships because I can tell you everything that we're taught in in the Bible is is countercultural. Not everything, but a whole wow. lot of things are, you know, about relationships. Like we've got to we've got to die to ourselves and yeah. gosh, I, I don't want to do it's, that. It's holiness. It's being set apart. Yeah. Set apart from Right. A lot of ways to culture. Absolutely. I've been reading, I've been pounding through the Old Testament for like a year here, and yeah. I'm just finishing up, finishing up Joshua when he's just imploring God's people, which is who you and I are, yeah. of like, you have to understand that you are set apart. Yeah. And you are going to enter this, you've entered this land, but you have to live knowing that like, you can't just intermingle and mix with it, with this culture around you, or you will lose sight of me. Yeah. And it's like, you have to be set apart. You have to understand that like, I'm not making you, I, I've made you holy. I'm not setting you apart and saying you have to do this stuff so that you can earn my love. It's right. because I so badly want you to understand what life actually looks like. Right. That if the only way you're going to live in that fullness is if you remember who you are and what you were created to be. Yeah, and, and I think when we are out in that world, we have to take our world with us. And that's why I value so much our community and you know my brothers in Christ because— I have to take that with me when I go out or I feel lost, you know, yeah. without it, right? Yeah. You need to carry that with you when you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we did, so we did Man Up together. That's how I first mm-hmm. met Paul. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, that has just been something that's just been so, it just really hurts my heart. And it's been such a passion of mine as I look around and it's not looking at a, at a man and judging them of like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Looking right. at them from a place of like, God has so much more for you. Yeah. And he's not going to make your life perfect. He's not going to necessarily even make it easy. Mm-hmm. And you might even be happy. You might even find some secureness. But, like, there's this picture of who God has actually created you to be, Yeah. Well, how your life will actually function and who you can be as you step into the role that he's designed you to fill in your home, 
in in your marriage, in your kids' lives, in your job. And it's like, that is life, man. And like, I just so badly want people to find that. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing like it. And that doesn't, like you said, it doesn't mean everything goes perfect. It just means you're in line with your creator, your savior, and you're walking his path to what he has for you. Yeah, and I think, you know, the freedom really comes like, you know, in in work, I can be kind of self-defeating because I'll feel like, you know, I, I can't do this, right? And, you know, in sales, I, I just still find it strange that I'm in sales because I feel like it's kind of, you know, not necessarily where my heart is. So I have all the time cases where I'll go, I can't do this. And then things end up coming together. And it's like, when I look back at that, I don't go, see, I actually am pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I go, yeah, I, I didn't have that at all. Mm-hmm. Somebody else kind of had for that, me in that yeah. right? And it's not saying make the sale because that's not, you know, hugely important one way or another. It's just kind of that thing of like I, I don't have to depend on my own strength as much, you know, to, to get me there. God God gave me that strength, and God wants me to use it to do the things he's got me and got in front of me. But it's not only by my strength that I do those. It's it's really his strength that allows yeah. me to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, let me so. – we'll get out of here with this. I want to ask you one, one yeah, last question. Sure. Um, and you've talked a lot about this. If you could summarize this, why do you love Jesus? Because he loves me. I mean, and, and – um, you know, I look at it and I look back at what feels like a really lonely childhood for me. I think back to that moment when I saw the cross. Like I knew he was there through all of it. And I still had a lot of really lonely time kind of almost feeling like I was an only child even though I wasn't. A lot of really lonely time. And I look back now, I didn't realize it at the time, and I certainly didn't realize it when my parents died. And, you know, I forget about it on a on, I won't say a daily basis, but like a weekly basis at work when I kind of go, I'm not sure why I'm doing this and all that. I realize looking back at this moment, um, he's been with me the whole time and he's never abandoned me, even though I thought he did. You know, I hate to use a, a cheesy cliche, but like that footprints idea where, yeah. he, you know, there's only one set of footprints. Well, it was his because he was carrying me. Um, I just, I mean, I, I, if I was still in the same circumstances that I was in before, I would just be miserable and lost, and I, I'm not that. Yeah. I'm yeah, happy, not. and yeah. I'm fulfilled, and I struggle, but um, it's because of knowing Christ that my life has completely changed. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Well, yeah. I appreciate your time, man. This is really fun chatting. Thank you. Have yeah. Good. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you.